Okay, uh, we are going to start here with Tech Chat Tuesday for Tuesday, January 19th, 2021. I'm Ken Rimple, and I brought with me Sujan Kapadia and Joe Berger. Hey, guys. Hello. All right. Um, so this week, we have Joe as our special guest. We're going to talk about uh, mobile app development with Flutter and compare it to Android uh, a little bit in terms of the native development. Before we get started with that, I just want to go through some announcements. Uh, Becca has given me share screen, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over. I'm in charge here. <laughs> Can I have All your right. title, Joe? Master of the Universe, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, so let's get started. Um, so this week, uh, you know, we're, we're in the beginning of 2021, uh, back for a longer break, and glad to be back. Uh, the... Couple things just to point out. First of all, you know, you can always hit our website to find out interesting things we're talking about and doing. So if you go to Chariot Solutions slash blog, uh, you'll find a bunch of articles in here. Uh, one of one, one of them that just dropped is getting started with Lambda container images uh, from Keith Gregory. He talks about uh, the fact that now you can use a, a Docker container to launch your Lambdas. Um, so that means all your dependencies are built in the Docker image. Now, the thing about this is it's not super fast. So you don't use these, you know, for start, your instant start kind of lambdas, I guess, unless maybe you can somehow warm them up. But you can certainly use them uh, for something like, you know, a, a batch process that has to kick off a lambda. Um, so he explains the whole build process. Uh, you know, you can, you can go ahead and just build the, with the Lambda API and you're bundling the lambda inside of a Docker container, which also to me tells me you can run it locally and, debug it locally by just running Docker images locally, which is kind of interesting. So that's yet another thing we were looking at uh, as we were getting started, uh, looking at, at Lambda development more seriously uh, for applications. They announced at the end of December that they were doing this. So it's it's a reality now. Uh, they, there were third-party images before. Now there's these Lambda container images. So that's a blog post by Keith Gregory. It's a really good um, nice blog post with very clear steps. Yes. Yeah, he spends a lot of time. Uh, he's very detail-oriented. Um, some other articles, Tracy Wilson-Rossman has one on digital transformation. Uh, we have, um, Joe has done two, which we're going to talk about when we interview him here, uh, on background processing in Android and React Native versus Flutter versus Native. Uh, and so those are those are blog posts we always keep posting there. You can find our content for the podcast if you just Googled and ran into this under the podcast tab. And all of our podcasts are there available for subscription with iTunes or RSS uh, feeds. And we're in all the uh, different podcast stores, including Spotify and Amazon, as well as uh, Google. Uh, I, guess, I guess the Google store just retired the podcast store, if I remember correctly. But um, definitely on iTunes as well. Uh, also, if you head over to uh, Philly Emerging Tech, I want to announce that we are live with the registrations and have been for a couple weeks for emerging technologies for the enterprise 2021. That is our conference that we run every year. Uh, and uh, so it's happening virtually this year, one more time, uh, May 4th to 6th. It's over three days instead of two. We kind of break it up. So it's not eight full hours of content to make people completely stuck at their desks. Um, but uh, that'll be uh, May 4th to 6th. We have an incredible early bird of $70. Uh, and so jump on that right now. There's an amazing set of people. I'm going to use the word amazing 10 times. Um, but our keynote speaker, one of our keynotes is Alan Kay, the, the father of object-oriented programming and graphical user interfaces. I know we're not worthy, right? Yeah. Um, he, We reached out to him because the team said, like, how can we 
pick a, an amazing speaker for 2021 as a keynote. And Alan's name came up and internally my mind's like, yeah, no, he's not going to say yes to us. And it turns out he did. Um, he liked what our conference is about. He's very oriented towards innovative people and he wants to help people. So he's glad to join, glad to be online. So he's going to be one of our featured speakers uh, for uh, 2021. Also, we have Brian Getz, uh, the Java language architect at Oracle, uh, David Nolan, who's uh, the, the Closure Script lead developer and really interesting in the functional programming space, and a bunch of other people as well. So head over uh, to phillyemergingtech.com. It'll direct you to the 2021 site, and you can see it. If you want to see the prior year, you can just hit 2020.phillyemergingtech.com, and you can see all the you know people that we had there. You can then also go over to YouTube, uh, and that's at youtube.com chariot solutions and you'll see playlists for each of our years of philly emerging tech and other shows that we've done so if you go to playlists there they are and i had us put together a, a super playlist of philly ete for all the videos we have uh that becca was kind enough to do for us so if you just want to kind of put that on and watch stuff all the way back to 2015 2014 2013 you can do that and we've had some amazing speakers there i said amazing at least four times now five all right, so that's that. Um, why don't we get started and we'll we'll hold off on the, the interview topics. We'll just get through a little bit of dev news first. So um, let me uh, have Sujan go up with the Raspberry Pi Lego sorter. This thing looks cool. So this thing is amazing and I definitely could have used it as a father of an eight-year-old daughter. <laughs> this is a combination of a Raspberry Pi and obviously open source software, a camera, and a set of servos and custom-made uh, bins to sort Lego pieces into the right bin. So you drop a Lego piece in, and then it figures out based off the shape, size, color, et cetera, um, which bin it should go in. Uh, all of the work in, go in building this is detailed in the blog post and the attached source code and GitHub projects, et cetera. It uses uh, machine learning, of course, right? Because everything has to use machine learning these days. Um, the Legos, it uses what's called a convolutional neural network, which has been a popular style of neural networks for image recognition, video recognition, hmm. um, that has like a huge amount of accuracy. So anyway, they've trained this on actual 3D models of Lego pieces. So apparently there's no Lego piece that this thing cannot recognize and sort. So I just think it's amazing that all of this is built by hand and open source software and commodity hardware. So if you dropped your Lego Death Star and it shattered into a million pieces, at least you could put it away in order. <laughs> that thing is wicked cool. Very cool. All right. Um, here's a couple for you. I wanted to bring up uh, the fact that uh, Jordan Walk, uh, the creator of, of uh, React, has left Facebook to start a new company. Uh, so there's a Twitter post from him somewhere in here. Let's see here. Nope. I don't know what his actual Twitter handle is, but uh, so, so let's just say he, he, he's, he's moved on. Um, not that it has anything to do with it. AWS is creating a new open source design system with React. Uh, and so this is going to be interesting. AWS UI, uh, which they call the, and this is from the register, um, Tim Anderson's article. So the, 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 they say that this is the first step in a larger process of creating a new open source design system, according to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so apparently it's, uh, 
let's see, context for this is the open source and user interface code for .NET porting assistant. Um, and looks like they're trying to move away from Windows as well, trying to move to, to Linux for some of these design systems. So it'll be interesting to see where this heads to. There's, there's AWS UI uh, slash components dash react. So let's hit that on GitHub, AWS. Of course, I didn't actually look at the screen. Well, anyway. Components react. And there's probably an ad there. Anyway, should have had my, my links planned. Never mind. Let me just Google it. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Here we go. Thank you. I always go to the wrong one. Anyway, point being that, that this is something to take a look at. I know, you know, there have been other, uh, where's the darn project link? Someone help me. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, the last paragraph is interesting. It's saying this is allows Amazon teams to release open source software products that are based off of this. So I guess right. also encouraging internally teams at Amazon that are using this that want to open source software, this is one path to that. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so that'd be very cool to look at. So I'm not going to bother watching everyone see me Google in a very poor way. They used to have a link to the projects on the right here, and I can't find it. And it's probably me being, you know, screen blind. Anyway, uh, so that's an interesting thing to look forward to. I wonder if this is in React to, like, Google doing a lot with Flutter and other stuff. Hmm, could be, could be. And there's Storybook, for example. So, so you know... So, so these are components for React, but I guess it's like a design language. I guess this would be like, you know, um, material or something like that, right? Interesting. Okay. That XOR trick. Oh, yes. So this guy, um, Florian or Florian Hartman, I think is his name. He's a researcher at Google, used to be associated with Mozilla. There's a bunch of interesting blog posts um, about like probability and stats and as it, as it pertains to programming. This one's a cool thing. If you don't know XRR, if you're a programmer, if you're a programmer back in the old days, you definitely know what exclusive OR is and, and bitwise operations. So um, I won't get into all the details of that, but basically this is a blog post that goes over some neat tricks you can use with an XOR operator, like finding duplicate values, swapping values. Um, it's actually a pretty nifty operator that can be used in a lot of things to um, uh, simplify operations. Um, so anyway, I think it's worth checking out. There's some neat tricks in there. Sometimes people in programming interviews ask questions around it. Back in the days when I did more kind of hobby uh, graphics programming and, and lower level stuff, XOR was something that I used very often. Um, anyway, uh, I highly recommend checking this guy's blog out in general. There's some really cool stuff in there and he demystifies some interesting things. Yeah, wasn't it used for things like collision detection between two objects and pixel yeah. points? Yeah. Yeah, it's also also used a lot in crypto in cryptography. Yep. Mm -hmm. Looks like a great one. Okay. Uh let's see here. We have um <laughs> I'll put a humorous one up just because it's good to laugh now and then. Uh so this guy here, uh the worst pieces of code I've ever seen is an entertaining little blog post. And I thought I've written bad code before, we all have. So let's let's kind of chuckle along with him. Um so as uh, jesuitsundev.com, 
And uh, he says, today I'm going to show you the worst pieces of code I've ever seen. Some devilries that have should never have been produced. <laughs> so the, it's the kind of thing you run into all the time where people do things. He's like, I sprint to my station at first. So he was fixing, what was he fixing? Something in, uh, let's see. In one of the libraries. Yeah, some library. Um, but anyway, so he was looking at some code and he found something like this. Um, so he's mixing all, the person who wrote this is mixing all sorts of things. So for example, there's like a capitalized function name that they're awaiting on. Uh, there's um, like, all right, return T, but then we return null if there's an error, but then we catch instead of just doing an error. Um, and then like our variables are different types and there's async in two places and uh, it's just a mess. And then we're doing a then on the async, which we don't need to do. So this is one of those things where if you're, if you see code like this, you got to clean it up, right? It's just like, who knows what happens when it doesn't work, right? His, his comment, of course, is to put a meme up there. <laughs> so that is guy, it really, what's that? The guy reminds me of the angry chef, Gordon Ramsay. I don't know yes. why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there really an I variable? Where are we now? That's an ID, right? Integer Hewitt. And what exactly is expire? Why is there Campbell case, Pascal case, and snake case? <laughs> Uh, so it's just funny. You can read through this. There's there's one about broken promises where something uh, wasn't properly handling a function uh, that was a promise call. Um, here's one. Let's see. <laughs> so let's see. We have an async function, get ticket. We await valid ticket expiration. Uh, and then we apparently, so when when that's done, we don't look for a return value. Um, I guess it might throw an error. Who knows? We're not checking for the error, so we can't deal with the error and send it back. Um, then we do in a way to ticket UUID. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, he had to rewrite that completely. So a couple things. When you use async await in JavaScript, make sure you put try catches in your code if you're going to await something because await by default, all it's going to do is it's going to continue on and then if it'll wait and then come back and give you the answer. So for example, line five is a little more typical. But um, if it throws an exception, you're not looking for that. So if you were going to return something back or you wanted to change it or log the error, you don't have a chance. You have to put a try catch around the call to await or you're never going to capture that. The 1980s uh, song Promises, Promises by Naked Eyes, if you read the lyrics again, it actually makes a lot of sense. With the <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and then he, I like the one Spaghetti Bolognese. Um, and he does like a Star Wars kind of thing for this. So uh, this is, this reminds me of an ETE talk by Uncle Bob Martin. So we just start scrolling. Oh, this one was uh, about the, the library that uh, they were using. Uh huh. He's only pasting a, a snippet of a code. He's saying that the actual file was thousands, thousands of, of lines. Remember, remember you through the whole thing in the beginning of the presentation? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Did you remember that? So, so Uncle Bob Martin at ETE, I'm guessing 2013, 2014, he, uh, he, he just put, I guess, his wallet on the down key and yeah. started scrolling a piece of Java code, and it just kept going and going. <laughs> and he played Ligeti's opera that they play in yeah. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> it perfectly worked with it. Oh, God. Oh, God. So, um, yeah, I've seen code so bad that you just have to look at it and say, we're rewriting this thing from scratch because we can't trust the code. This would definitely be it. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff being mixed in here. Um, I mean, we, you know, you see it all the time. People just 
instead of sitting down and breaking things down to their smallest parts and making sure each of the parts work, you know, functionally divide the code up, figure out how to test it. Uh, people just sometimes just slam code in there and then they sit all, spend all their time trying to test maybe the happy path. What about all the failing paths here? It's crazy. So anyway, <laughs> maybe it's him. I think this might be him. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! It is Gordon Ramsay. That's what it is because it looks like a, a cuisine thing. Yep. Oh, I didn't I even. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even try to touch this demon child. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Anyway, so that's a fun thing to watch. I'm sure everyone's run into something like this where they've maintained a piece of code that someone else wrote, and maybe it it went through ten or fifteen different people before it hit you. Um, you know, I always find the, the resistance when you find something that messy. You have to figure out what you need to do to just keep it running for now. And then put on your schedule to re refactor it and replace it, you know, if you can. But uh, it's really hard sometimes to convince management uh, when something is that brittle to do something about it. You know, what what kind of techniques do you use in that case? I can I can speak of myself. I I always try to match the coding style of the client that I'm working for. Having said that, <laughs> I I I do. <laughs> I do strive for simplicity as simple yes. as possible, as broken up into little functional pieces as possible. Yep. So dealing with the, listen, I've seen applications like complicated applications that were written in one single uh, source file. It oh, was yeah. one file. And um, yeah, but it's not always the case. And uh, as this guy describes later on, he found that it was easier to rewrite the entire library yeah, actually find the, the 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 mistake there, just because there was such a spaghetti, he couldn't figure out what was going on and where. Yeah, and if you start with test, if you can, and you have the time to do it, and you figure out all the conditions, um, you can start by building something solid to start with. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's a really good book that's old though. It's called uh, Clean Code. That's another one that's kind of like discussing, um, you know, how to like clean up your your software, and it's it's very test heavy. Uh, in, you know, kind of like, you know, one of the things someone said once years ago was, you know, looking at code like this and trying to debug it without test is like putting a screwdriver in an electrical socket and hoping you don't get shocked. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you need to be able to to express what you're trying to, to achieve in something like a test, uh, because otherwise you have nothing you can keep repeatedly testing as you change the code. And potentially one of your changes might break everything. You have to go back and find out what you needed to fix it. Yeah. Those are push a few years ago for test-driven development. Yeah. And I don't know where it end, ended up, but it, it sounded like a, like a solution to all the problems. And it died. And then there was a push for aspect-oriented programming. Yeah. That also didn't take off. So I'm not sure if there is a solution, single solution for... In my, in my experience, three things that have worked best teams I've been on is one, uh, pair programming and test-driven development. So I've been on teams where we kind of do extreme programming. You know, forget about the agile, scrum, safe, all the ceremony, all the process that's been added on top of pure agile these days, but just pair programming and test-driven, that has been huge in disseminating good practices without mm -hmm. pointing fingers, without making people feel uncomfortable. Um, two, uh, automated tools which are admittedly hard on existing code bases because you can't like stop coding for a month and say go fix all the warnings and everything till you have a clean code base. But they can catch 
hairy pieces of code like what you're showing, Ken, with like cyclomatic complexity and things exactly. like that. At least hit low, low hanging fruit or hot spots. And then counterintuitively, instead of pointing out people's bad code, is like once a month, a team, a team I was on, we would do lunch and learns where we would highlight a good piece of code. Oh, that's and great. Talk about it and be like, oh, look, this is a really nice example of clean code. And it was kind of the, I guess, subversive or reverse psychology way of, of showing others, like, he, here's what you could aspire to write your code like instead of pointing out bad stuff. Uh, those are all really good points. Um, yeah. And whenever I've sat down and, and forced myself for something, you know, testing things that are novel, I think is important, right? Things that are, that are weird and novel and unconventional, A, it, it verifies your assumptions, you know. But checking every little setter and getter is nuts. Like going for 100% code coverage is yeah. insane. But testing the novel stuff, testing the stuff that very is likely to break because it's more complex will also send you down a road for those things of refactoring them and breaking them up into smaller functions. There's no magic bullet, I agree. Um, some other apps, you know, we do functional, you know, we do, I'm sorry, we do uh, user interface testing sometimes when the app, you know, like you're actually hitting the different pieces of the app itself under runtime, and then you're testing a wider swath at a time, sometimes they find like usability bugs and like, you know, this feature should do these three steps and work. And it's easier to write that in more of a functional test and a running test against the app than it is to write a lot of little unit tests sometimes. So some some teams more lean on those, they just take more time to write, but uh, and they take a lot more time to run, which is the downside. So if you can invest some time up front and write some good tests for things that are at least moderately complex, it's going to pay off for you. Yeah. I think the other, uh, one other point worth mentioning with like the automated checks is imagine like the, the function you're showing right now on the screen, right? It may have been very innocuous initially and started with like three lines, right? Yes. Um, and over time, multiple developers are touching it, modifying it, and it becomes over time now this massive spaghetti code. That's where some of the automated checks can try to help make that more painful so you can't get to that point. Right, right. Yeah, um, and I chuckle when you said try to match the the uh, customer because I look at this and this is the customer. I'd be like, we gotta talk. <laughs> Let me take you out to lunch and let's not even talk code. Let's just chat for a while, <laughs> and then we'll start talking about this. Um, but yeah, sometimes we're running into stuff like this. I remember many many years ago, I ran into something where someone was using uh, an applet. This is that long ago to connect to Oracle on an open port over the internet. Oh, and. Fun. Yeah, they were using TDS and they didn't know that they were doing the wrong thing because they kind of waded into doing Java development at the time. And I had to explain, I had to like lay it out for them saying, look, if someone else can connect to this port, they can connect in. And I hope you don't have like, you know, the default passwords for your, your Oracle connections. And so, you know, I had to teach them like RPC programming at the time and how to like lock things down and set up credentials and a firewall and all that. So you know, you do it in a way where you, you try to give them the, the the information gently and explain what the downside is of not doing something about it yep. and let them make their decision, you know? So yeah, always fun. All right. But enough of this stuff. Uh, well, we have one more thing. Let me, let me see here. There was something about a, a CNC router. Anatomy of a CNC router. Let's do that one. How's that? So this is a super, 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 super long blog post. <laughs> one of the longest blog posts I've seen in a while. So I didn't, I only skimmed through it. Holy moly. Um, the the main wow factor to me is you can build your own CNC router. Um it's just wow. if I were if I ever get to retire early in life, this is a project I would like to take on because you can build your own CNC router and then you can use that to build a lot of stuff. So the fact that someone did all this, put it all out there in a blog post, 
Wow. And you could probably follow along and I'm sure there's YouTube videos or things of how they built it. I, I just, it, to me, it's, it's mind blowing. You know, a CNC router is great. I, I side, side note, side story. My family, we had someone in our family who used to restore model, you know, old model cars like Bentleys and things like that. And they, um, they made their own machines to make machines. This feels kind of like that. Like you could yeah. potentially use it to make dyes and things like that to, to, to create things. And I just think about if that person was alive today, what they could do with all this technology we have today, if they were a little bit technical. Like people insane. like Philadelphia has next fab and, you know, these yeah. communities and people have been talking about like kind of the decline of, uh, of libraries and things like that in communities. And yeah. I think there's so many potential uses for space in communities that are not being used any longer for housing, physical books and things like that. Like you could have your own little maker communities in each of your libraries. I mean, there's a lot of potential with commodity hardware like this. I mean, he's talking about every little piece, like the actuators and and the motors and, you know, all sorts of encoders and wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. But we have Joe Berger here, Mr. Berger. Howdy. So let's talk now. We'll get the screen out of the way for a second. Uh, let's talk now about uh, um, about Flutter. So you ran into Flutter's uh, as a, as a, a you know a mobile application development technology. Why don't you at a high level talk to us about? So first of all, you are an Android developer. Is one of the things you do. Um, how did you run into Flutter? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I, it was there and I just to, to learn it. Mm -hmm. well, it was, um, it was uh, by Sujan's suggestion. He's like, hey, uh, why don't you take a look at Flutter? You like this stuff. I'm like, yeah, sure. I like this stuff. Um, so if you want to bring up that that article, because uh, there, there yes. is a bunch of uh, good stuff there, and we yep. can go uh, through it. This is the React Native versus yeah, Flutter versus Native. Okay, here we go. This is just a decision guide for because uh, most of the time when companies uh, face um, are faced with a decision which technology to use, um, it's not necessarily always done um, from the right perspective. It's oh, yeah. uh, it's it's usually either they have uh, already existing programmers or they uh, they lean towards something just because they have a background there. So this guy will, will help them uh, figure out what's what's right for them, and uh, it always depends on customers' needs. Of course. In this guide, I go through seven um, aspects of uh, mobile technology stack. I go through technology behind each. I go through popularity because, uh, believe it or not, popularity is one of the major drives behind uh, selecting the technology. Uh, if the technology is not popular, you don't, you, you don't want it because it's not going to be supported. And then we go through development environments for each ease of use, product productivity, performance, and scalability. So hopefully this will help um, decision makers figure out which is the best choice for them. Um, what surprised me the most is that although React Native is currently the most popular, and it has not lost popularity in the last two years. Uh, Flutter has been the only 
uh, technology that's been gaining popularity. And Facebook um, themselves abandoned React Native for their um, for their uh, chat uh, application just because of the performance uh, characteristics. So okay. I go through uh, I go through those I, I explain what's going on behind the scenes uh, uh, for each, and then we discuss uh, what's what's best for um, uh, for uh, for clients uh, taking in consideration their needs. So hopefully it, it's it's useful if um, if people do find it useful and if there are any questions uh, about this we can go into. Uh, detail um, on uh, on certain um, aspects of, of this article. So let me ask you a couple questions, though, oh. kind of like, you know, get, get people oriented a little bit more. So, you know, obviously there's native development, which is, you know, going to use, you know, um, you know, Java or um, Kotlin, oh. for example, and you're compiling down and running on their virtual machine uh, on Android, for example. We'll take Android as our sample here. Oh. Um, and then, you know, as, as we had just mentioned, React Native, which is kind of like the dominant one at the moment, a 42% of interest here, but a lot of companies doing it. It's taking the React APIs and the components you build are translated into native components on the browser through a cross compilation process. No, not, not exactly like that. Uh, okay. Browser is not involved. I, I'm, I meant on the, on the on, I'm sorry, browser is the wrong term, on the actual mobile device. So it's an app, right? Right, it's 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 an app, and React Native Core is the one that's running on on the device. Got it. Okay. And it's a JavaScript bridge that bridges your code into the native components, but not exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's why there is a lag. Um, it's it's a little bit slower than than Flutter, and uh, of course, it's slower than native, uh, just because of the, of this JavaScript bridge. Um, but also you're faced with a, with a, with a, with a problem of if the native components are upgraded, then you have to wait for React to upgrade their core and their JavaScript bridge in order for your JavaScript to be rec recognized in order for your, for you to be able to make the changes. Mm -hmm. That's, that, that's one uh, problem. Uh, second problem is, React Native is a very bare bone uh, compared to Flutter. Flutter is a lot, a lot richer environment and widgets and uh, functionality. React Native is um, is not as rich, so you end up using a lot of third party frameworks mm -hmm. or libraries, and some of those libraries are created and maintained by one or two people, and if those yeah. people decide not to maintain them, then you, you're stuck. And usually what uh, the, the case is uh, when React Native is upgraded, some of your libraries will uh, fail. And uh, that that um, becomes a major problem because now you either have to fork that library and upgrade it yourself, or you have to wait for the developers to upgrade it. So yeah, there are, there are, there are, um, uh, there are some issues with that. So, so React Native then seems to suffer uh, kind of in a larger level some of the issues of plain old React project, which if you start a React project, the React API is small. Yeah. And you have to go out and get a state machine, a router, a, a networking API, 
Um, you know, if you're dealing with uh, various features, you'll find APIs for those. And you're saying that Flutter is more batteries included where you can start and do a lot with it. So what right. kind of things come? So you've mentioned a component library. What are the major core APIs that come with Flutter that you can use out of the box? Well, in, in Flutter, you can basically create a very uh, UI-heavy um, uh, application without any performance uh, hits. Um, a lot of, comp well, everything in, in Flutter is a widget. So you can create uh, a lot of uh, widgets using their built-in um, material framework uh, uh, plugins. Um, a lot of uh, the actual UI elements already built in. Um, for for example, accordion accordion element is not a part of React, so you have to you have to find your own, right. or create your own, or find a library. Uh, Flutter provides you with a lot more uh, widgets to work with. And so let's talk the technology then. So, how is Flutter built? Like, what what do you what what what's the output? You mentioned that like for React Native, there's a React Native core and the JavaScript bridge, and then you run your components in JavaScript through the bridge. What is a Flutter application comprised of when it's built down? Flutter uses Dart framework, and that Dart framework is uh, its own scripting language, and yeah. it, it gives you uh, a lot of available widgets, uh, animations, gestures, and the material components. Uh, Dart framework itself sits on the top of C++ engine, which manages Dart virtual machine, which in, in turn is aware of uh, frame scheduling which is a huge problem with React because everything in React runs in a JavaScript a thread. Right. In Flutter, um, the, the virtual machine is, uh, is scheduling, scheduling frames, system events, and asset resolutions. So you're not blocking the frame rendering at all. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so, and since nothing uh, blocks a UI frame, frame rendering, Flutter um, is driven by the Flutter engine frame rendering. So there is an engine that's built into Flutter that drives everything. So uh, from the developer's perspective, everything in Flutter is a widget. Widgets are bound to native components by Flutter engine, just that, like React Native does through the JavaScript bridge. There is no such bridge in, in Flutter. It just uh, maps your components directly to um, to the native elements by this Flutter engine. And since there is no JavaScript uh, thread, uh, Flutter runs a little faster and um, it's a little it's, it's a little easier to debug because some some of the errors in a React Native app uh, uh, come from from the depths of the JavaScript bridge. And when they bubble up, it's almost impossible to tell where they're coming from. Mm. And yeah, it's, it, it becomes a debugging hell. So is there a Dart framework built into Android now? Is that the idea? Is like the Dart language embedded there? You mentioned a virtual machine, I'm assuming. Well, you... It's not embedded in Android itself. Uh, it packages everything in APK, but the okay. huge... On, on a huge positive side uh, is that you can you can actually develop in Dart using Android Studio. There is mm -hmm. a there is an option to uh, either create uh, using Kotlin, Java, or Dart. So you create a Dart project and working in Android Studio is such a bliss. It's even it, it's it, you can't even compare it. 
I'm, I'm writing um, uh, watch face for Garmin uh, watch right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm getting ready to post the article uh, about it. And they use Eclipse plugin, which is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a step in the, in, in the past. Yes, like yes. 10, 15 years in the past. Uh, so yeah, uh, working in Android Studio is, uh, is very, very productive. So then when you're working in Android Studio, are you then working and passing it on to a Android VM or can you actually run this natively on your OS 10 or you Linux run desktop? Natively, you run it natively on the device. Oh, that's really nice and quick then. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, both of them, both Flutter and React uh, native uh, provide hot reloading. Mm -hmm. so you change something in your code, you press a button and it reloads automatically. Right. So in that sense, they both are very, very similar. It's the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes that's different. Right. And how that, it's generated, how it's built. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have the same kind of things that you did with like a Cordova or something like that where you've got platform-specific code like hook yeah. points? Yeah, so React Native is um, is going to be very heavy on platform specific code. Right. A lot more heavier than than Flutter, just just because Flutter provides a lot more out of the box. But you, for for the simple application, you don't need uh, uh, to do any um, uh, platform specific code. It's those specialized applications that become um, uh, that become heavy in the native code. And that's another point that I'm um, talking about in this article. If your application is going to be heavy in platform specific code, you might as well just write a na native application. Just using yeah. Android and iOS developers and it's going to be simpler and easier and uh, and faster. Yeah, that's always been the challenge, right? The challenge is if you if you have some product being developed that needs to run in multiple, you know, phones, and they really want to take the goal of getting very hardware specific features working on each one, right. you really are kind of, I mean, you're, you're going to be in trouble dealing with that multi-layer abstracted version of each of those things and figuring out how to make them work Absolutely. compared to having native direct. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, a lot of things we do is like, you know, you, you might take a picture with a camera. I'm assuming those are easy things to do, right? Or find out your current GPS location. Well, actually uh, taking a picture with a, with a camera, uh, well, one of the ways of taking a picture with a camera is exactly why you would need to write a platform-specific code. For example, if you want to take a, uh, an image of a check and then parse that check yeah. and um, uh, retrieve the values and use them in your code, yeah, you'll need to create your own custom um, uh, nat native code. But you can do that in Flutter, no problem. It's just you'll do less of it. I... Uh, so it's just, I don't know Flutter that well. Right. Don't want to put you on the spot there. Yeah. <laughs> but more curiosity, like, you know, the areas that, you know, you would focus on. I know um, that sensor work is uh, is done in Flutter without doing any uh, uh, native uh, platform specific Oh, that's code. cool. Yeah. So they, they did that that part, right? So like rotation and things like that. Yeah. You have I guess the important point is <clears throat> if this trajectory of adoption continues like we're seeing in the graph, there will be third-party components built to do those things like camera and GPS. Right. We won't have to be writing it ourselves. Yeah, even better. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Having said that, both React Native and Flutter are 
could be potentially the right decision because there are a bunch of apps already written in, in both uh, frameworks, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Uber Eats, Walmart, Tesla is yeah. a React Native, uh, Realtor, Square, eBay, Capital One, Groupon, Google, Sonos, BMW is all Flutter. So yeah, we'll, we'll see adoption of these frameworks um, uh, grow in, uh, in, in uh, the next few years. So I have, a, I have a question, I think, around that and maybe a point you made earlier. If I'm starting a new project completely um, and I have a team of JavaScript savvy, TypeScript savvy developers that are you know, React oriented, is that a reason to consider React Native versus others? Or is that kind of like a, a false proposition? So I, I can tell you up front that I'm very biased toward native development. Mm -hmm. Having said that, uh, if you have people that are very good with JavaScript and um, they're very familiar with the, with the de with development, developing in, in JavaScript, then maybe React Native is your better choice. But I go through it in um, throughout this article, I go through exactly that decision. Um, it also depends on your project. So if, if the app is fairly simple, you'll be fine. If the app is going to be complicated uh, with a lot of features or a lot of upgrades in the future, you might find yourself hiring more uh, JavaScript developers than you would if you hired two teams of uh, platform-specific developers. So it, it it's all it, it all depends on your on your needs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, kind of, I believe in the native approach as, as well. So I was kind of throwing a softball there because I agree with you. So, but I was just we do talk to companies that are exactly in that situation. Hey, we're starting something new, and yeah. we have a team of React developers and a React web app developed. How can we reuse some of that code or knowledge? Is, is what we encounter quite frequently. What I, what I can tell you uh, from what I found is that Dart is very simple. I mean, any JavaScript developer will pick up Dart and become a professional in two to three days. So learning curve is not a problem. The learning curve becomes a problem when you, um, if you decide to teach on JavaScript developers native, native development, then it might be a problem. But Dart versus JavaScript, they're very, very similar. Okay, that makes some sense. Um, what are some of the things you feel that Flutter needs to work on or doesn't do as well uh, that you feel like like areas for improvement you think long-term that you see? I don't know that well to, to comment on this. Uh, from what I've seen so far, uh, they're, they're on the right track. Okay, that's good. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, Sorry. what's the, the resources for getting started in, in, in uh, Flutter? What, what would you hit? Is there a good tutorial site, or do they have good docs on their own? So Flutter, in that respect, Flutter is a lot more um, mature than, than uh, React Native. Although React Native has been there um, uh, for a while, Flutter is a lot more documented, a lot better documented. So just go uh, Google Flutter. I think I have a couple of... Um, I have the site here. Let me see. Um, but yeah, every, everything that you need to know is on, on Flutter's documentation website. Yeah, like they have a they have a gallery in here and Flutter know, tons of stuff. 
early last year, I started a course on Flutter on Udemy. Mm -hmm. so very comprehensive course. I only did 25% of it and then got busy with other things again. But it was really good for as far as I got through it. It was very detailed. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Udemy is a good resource. Um, I took two courses there. But the best, the best resource uh, that I found for myself is YouTube. There's oh, okay. information on YouTube. You can basically learn anything you want. Okay, but, that's good uh, to know. Flutter.dev uh, uh, site provides you with practically anything you want. And um, you'll be able to uh, bring up your own development environment and run your first app within, within minutes. So is the setup for it similar, I guess, in terms of prereqs? You're going to have to have your native platform ready to go. Um, I assume you have to install Dart before you install Flutter or part of it installs Dart, something along those lines. I, as far as I remember, it installs everything uh, at once and then okay. install um, That's and nice. put a plugin. Right. I see a cookbook here. It has a lot of good basic things to that you would need to do. Yeah. On it too. All right, cool. So yeah, check out. I had to install. I recall, but it's been a while since I've looked at it. You did install the Android SDK. Yeah. Yeah, then so I would think so. Yeah. yeah. And does this run on iOS as well? I'm assuming it does. At the whole point, yes. right? Yes, it does. Okay. And you will need the Xcode, and you'll need the uh, yeah. Um, you need you'll need MacBook. Yeah. Or, the, the the interesting thing with Flutter basically being responsible for its own rendering completely, like it it handles everything, is that you could theoretically build an app on Android that looks exactly like an iOS app. <laughs> well, you can you can do you can do that in React Native as well. It's just oh, okay, uh, right? It's just theming. It's like a full screen app that has a, this styled widgets that look like it. Yeah. Yeah. the The key is not to have Android app uh, look exactly like right. Android. Right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? No, I'm just kidding. Oh man. All right. Yeah. This is very cool. And I, and uh, as we uh, have you like as you're doing your blog post? We'll bring them up in the dev news and, and point out the samples you're building. So that'll be good to see. Sounds good. All right, great. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about Flutter. Sure. And I think that'll do it. So again, uh, quick things to remember: phillyemergingtech.com. We are registering right now uh, for people to sign up. Early bird tickets. Thank you, Becca. Are seventy dollars? It's phillyemergingtech.com. Uh, and that's going to be in May, and you'll see the information on the website. Um, and you know, hit us up on YouTube, Chariot Solutions uh, on YouTube, uh, YouTube slash Chariot Solutions for our playlist for all of our shows, including this one. Uh, and our website has a blog and uh, other stuff there as well. So thank you very much for joining for the week. And uh, hey, any feedback, please send it either to the email techcastfeedback at chariotsolutions.com or tweet us at, at techcast and let us know if you like the show or if you really enjoyed me scrolling around trying to find the GitHub link this morning. <laughs> it's, just, it's one of those things. I start off slow sometimes in these weeks. But otherwise, I will see everybody uh, next week. So have a good one. Take care. Thank you.